All right, everybody, welcome to this episode of In Our Tracks, a podcast produced by the National Reining Horse Association. Um, I'm Jennifer Paulson, your host, and today I'm really excited to be speaking with NRHA $4 million rider, Craig Schmerschel. Um, he's won every major NRHA event. He was the co-champion at last year's inaugural run for a million and became a, a TV superstar on The Last Cowboy. So, um, we're, Craig, we're really excited to be talking with you today, and I know that everybody's going to be anxious to, to hear what you have to say. Welcome to In Our Tracks, a project from the National Reining Horse Association. We're here to honor the history of reining, discuss current events and trends, and look ahead at the opportunities this sport has in its future. We'll honor the legacy makers, movers, and shakers from the reining industry, as well as grassroots competitors and weekend warriors to offer insights from the full spectrum of the reining community. Great. Well, thanks for having me. You bet. So. We usually start these interviews with what, what we call our large fast. Um, we just do five quick questions to kind of get things started. So when you are hauling to a horse show or going to check on your babies out of state or wherever, um, what's your favorite food to have in the truck when you're on the road? Oh, shoot. Probably, I always go with sunflower seeds, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Good salty pick, snack. Go pickle. Well, pickle flavored. Oh, yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Um, what do you those, like to listen to? Those are my go-to. Oh, shoot. I love everything. I love country. I love rap. I love... <laughs> Depends on if Addy's in the car with me, because if <laughs> Addy's in the car, I have to listen to, you know, top 40 stuff, but I like everything. Yeah, good deal. But it's fun to have Addy in the car with you when you're going around, though. <laughs> yes, sometimes. She... uh <laughs> I have no control over anything when she's in the car. She just runs the radio, and I have to listen to what she wants to listen to. So <laughs> this one. So of your many accomplishments that you've had horseback, which one sticks out as maybe your most memorable um, or the one you're most proud of? Oh, I've had so many. It's hard to pick one, but you know, last year's run for the million that was a big that was a big deal for the NRHA for the for any Western horse or any horse for that matter. Um, you know, just to be a part of that, that the vibe in that arena that night, that was something I'll never forget. I mean, it was like a fraternity finals or, you know, we go to, to Europe quite often too. And, and uh, it had that kind of feel. Europe is very, 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 you know, the crowd in Europe is really fun because it's, it's like nothing you ever seen before here in the States. So the run for the million is probably my favorite. Yeah, it was incredibly exciting. And, um, you know, all 12 runs were, were so fun to watch. And of course yours and Cade's coming out on top. Um, that, that was pretty amazing to be a part of and, and be a part of that crowd. You know, the vibe was amazing. Yeah. The, the other one I, I probably have to, I should mention was probably the fraternity because I'd tried so hard. It eluded me for so many years. You know, I made my first fraternity finals in 1995. And, you know, as a kid, that was my, since I was nine years old, that was been my, my one goal. And I finally got to, to pull that off in 2017. But those two are my most memorable. Awesome. Um, what's your favorite trait in a horse? Oh, without a doubt, it's got to be the brain. You know, if you don't have 
I don't sleep very well when I have a good horse with a bad brain, but if I have a good horse with a, with a good brain, I, you know, that's, you can bank on that. For me, it's all about the brain. Yeah. Um, and then last one for this round, um, what is the most common advice that you give to your non-pros before they go show? You know, I would probably have to say the one thing I do tell everybody is you got to think forward, you know, cause I, I've made mistakes before and you you just can't stop thinking about the mistake that you'd made and I think that's the worst the worst thing you can do is is focus on the mistake or whatever has happened you got to think forward and and uh, block that mistake or whatever out of your mind and keep going good advice in in all aspects of life probably right yes pretty much All right, Craig, okay. so you alluded to that, you you know, since you were nine years old, the fraternity was on your mind. Um, tell us about how reining horses have been part of your life growing up and maybe some of the first rainers that you rode that left an impression on you. My dad bought me and my sister a two-year-old when we were, I was, I guess I was eight years old. My sister was 10. Uh, so he took us to this horse trainer down in Walpacanetto, Ohio, and his name was Mike Florida. He brought us in there and he said, Mike, I got these two kids and I got two horses and I want them to go to the county, the county fair. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Mike just gave him all kinds of dirty looks, but <laughs> anyway, the, the county fair was three months away and we had two two-year-olds that had never been started and, and two kids that had, that had never rode before. So when <clears throat> Mike was you know, when we started riding at Mike's right away, or as soon as we could ride those two-year-olds, a month or so later, he uh, he always had reining horses around, and that was always very intriguing to me. I never, once I got the reining bug, soon after, you know, my dad brought us to Mike's, I never really thought about anything else. We started off with the pleasure horses, and I never, I never liked the pleasure horses because I always wanted to run and stop and and. Uh, and spin. So every pleasure horse I ever had got the business. You know, as far as <laughs> I, if it rained outside, I'd try to run and stop them on, on the grass. And <laughs> and uh, that was just, it was always on my mind. So, you know, I think I went to the 1981 uh, Congress fraternity when the NRHA fraternity was in Ohio. And I just sat up all night and I, I watched the raining and, and, uh, all those guys running and stopping and it, it just, you know, it's just, it never has left my mind. So, uh, it was basically do the raining or, or nothing else. I didn't leave myself a whole lot of chance, uh, choices in school. I never went to college. I just had, you know, raining horses on my, on my brain since I was eight or nine. So that's basically how we got started and where I got the love for the raining was right with, uh, Mike and Sean. That, that that's quite a legacy to be part of too with, with Mike and Sean and um and their contributions to the sport. Yep, that was it's a good family and that's the the hardest working bunch of people I'd ever been around. You know, I spent every summer there until I was probably fourteen or fifteen, from nine years old on. And you know, we woke up at I think we we're at the barn at six thirty, and we got an hour for lunch and an hour for dinner, and then. Uh, you know, most of the time, I after dinner we would 
ride until I have no idea when. I didn't have a watch in it. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I, but I know a couple of times Betty Flaherty called Mike and said, "Where's that boy?" And he he looked at me and says, "Hey, you better go to the house." And I know it was probably nine thirty, ten o'clock at night a few times. So yeah, that's a that's a dedicated family right there. So tell me about some of the first horses that you showed then, and and what what it taught you. And I mean, maybe you weren't showing like the you know the cream of the crop like like now, but what those horses taught you about you know like that you're still using today. Well, I started off, you know, I showed in the reining a little bit as a youth and as a non-pro, but basically I had when I became a professional, I had like 26 youth points and, and zero NRHA dollars, maybe like 300. Okay. And, uh, you know, right out of high school, I went to Long Island, New York, and I worked for a guy named Henry Uvino. He brought me out there. I'd already rode horses for him through high school. He sent me, uh, when I was a sophomore or junior in high school, he sent me a horse to ride, a two-year-old to start. So I had my foot in the door with those guys on Long Island, uh, Tony Lamangino and Sue Lamangino, and and uh, there's a lot of people on the island that gave me a, a chance to ride their horses. And a lot of those horses out there, when I was in high school, the hotbed for renting was Long Island, New York. So when I left high school, Mike Flutter said, I said, Mike, what do I need to do? He said, Craig, you need to go to Long Island. So that's, you know, how all that took off. but Anyway, there's a lot of owners on Long Island, and they would send their horses out to like Bill Horn and Tim McQuay and and various trainers across the country. And when those horses would either quit showing or they got a little smart in the pen, they would send them home. So all these guys on Long Island had these horses sitting in their backyard that were fantastic horses, but just a little bit uh, I don't want to say shot in the pen, but they kind of ran their course you know there was only the derby was for four and five year olds and then after that those horses became like weekend horses so anyway there was a whole lot of horses on long island soda pop was one uh vincent's my way scotch bar gym there was just was trained by paul horn actually and so i got to ride all these horses and all these people wanted to see those horses shown uh because they still believed in them and you know, they wanted to see him out. So I got I got a big opportunity there on Long Island showing these old horses that, uh, you know, they were just sitting in people's backyards. So anyway, I won my first bronze trophy on set the pace while I was in Long Island. And I think actually that's the same horse that Tim McQuay won his first bronze trophy on too. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, six or ten years before. I don't really remember what it was, but I'm pretty sure Tim McCoy and I both won our first bronze trophies on the same horse. So, you know, that was probably, probably I don't really, there's a lot of good horses out there, so I don't really remember one in particular, but after my stint on Long Island, Dutch Chapman asked me if I wanted to come work for him and maybe haul for a world title because, you know, I asked a friend of mine what, what I should do, and uh, he told me, he said, Craig, you need credentials. I said, how do I get those? He said, well, you need to go to Dutch and and uh, win a world title so people know who the hell you are. He said, you can ride the two-year-olds and you can ride these horses, but nobody knows who you are. So anyway, I went to, to Maryland, and then I, 
got the opportunity after I was there for a year and a half to show uh, Sea Blair Sailor, and that was probably probably my breakthrough horse because I won I won two world titles on Sea Blair Sailor that year, and uh, and that Sea Blair Sailor I think was truly the first world champion because Dave Connor, the owner, flew Sea Blair Sailor and I to Germany to the Americana because the Americana had a huge horse show. It paid a lot of money, and he didn't want. He, he was afraid somebody was going to go there, win the world title, or win that horse show, and beat us for the world title race. So he sent me over there, and I actually ended up winning the Americana, and that was, I think, it was probably one of Europe's largest largest horse shows. And the raining was huge, and that was like a stadium. It was like the Run for a Million type event where there was hundreds of people in the stands going crazy, and and it was it was a pretty special deal for me because Tim McQuay was there, Dwayne Latimer, Dean Latimer, Tom McCutcheon, uh, Dale Harvey, Don Boyd, all these people that I've, you know, looked up to my whole life or show, I had a show against them, but Sea Blair Sailor was so dominant that year that, you know, we ended up winning by seven or nine points, something like that. So it it was a composite. So anyway, that's kind of a, a long answer to that question, but Sea Blair Sailor was probably my first breakthrough horse, and that horse had taught me. He taught me so much on how to show, and he let me experiment and practice horse training, and and he put up with me that whole year, and and uh, you know I think that horse won well over 40 or 50 bronze trophies that year. That that's super impressive, and I, I mean it's it it gives all up to me anyway some different perspective even on you know your participation on the u.s teams at the world equestrian games and that kind of thing that you you had this early in your career early um exposure to that european aspect and um so Uh, it it makes me kind of think like what what do you see as you know as how that has developed for reigning that adding that international element in your own career in the whole industry and and where do you think that's going I think the international deal, it's always been big because they've always, the Europeans have been coming to the States for a long time to buy horses, but now we can actually compete internationally with them. So I think it's good for the industry, um, the sport, and, you know, just, I think it's fun. It's it's very exciting to watch those international competitions, and I think it does a lot for the sport. You know, I have a lot of friends in Europe. I've been lucky enough to go there for the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight years to to help. I do I do a set of clinics over there every year, and and uh, it's just opened a lot of doors for everybody. I mean, it's it's been the international, you know, part of our sport has been good for everybody. Plus, I have my help. You know, the kids that work for me, half of those kids have coming. They're coming from Europe. Yeah. I mean, it really has changed the whole market with, with breeding, horse sales, competition, you know, who your your staff, that whole thing. It really has evolved almost every aspect of the sport with that, in, you know, as this European and international aspect has, has grown. It's it's really, I think, unique to reigning. Um, you, don't, you don't see it in a lot of the other performance sports with the horses because of the cattle aspect, I guess. But it, it is really something right. I think is unique to the reigning and, and really cool. Oh, for sure. I've heard a story about when you were growing up, and I mean, I think everything that you have said has really um, 
been a tribute to your work ethic and um you know you haven't been afraid to put in the work you're a hard hardworking uh self from the time you were young and you know as as you've gone on in your career and i've heard a story about <laughs> um a water pump on your dad's place when you were growing up um could you share that with us because i think okay. it really gives some insight into into who you are and and how hard you work well i think what you're talking about is as growing up, you know, my dad bought us those two-year-olds when I was eight years old, and uh, we always had a two to four horses at home. We always, I showed uh, show steers when I was a kid, okay. too, in high school and, and all that stuff, but the, the story you're talking about is every ounce of water that, that those horses and cows drank, I, I or my dad pumped by hand, so I spent many a night I know it takes 45 pumps for four or five gallons of water and you can do the math on four, probably four horses and two to probably we always had two steers growing up, you know, so every ounce of water they drank, I pumped. And then when I went to work, when I graduated high school, so from the time I was eight till I was almost 18 for 10 years, we pumped water. Wow. So when I left high school, a week later, I went to Long Island, New York to, to ride horses, and I came home that fall, uh, and I looked out where the water pump, the hand pump was, and there was like a box over it. So I asked my dad, I said, what in the world happened to the pump? He said, well, when you left, I uh, I just dropped a pump in there, and now we have running water in the barn. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? He said... He just kind of smiled at me because that was his thing, and and uh, and uh, I said, "Dad, how much did that cost?" He's like, "Ah, oh, probably thirty bucks." I was like, oh, "You gotta be shitting me!" <laughs> so anyway, that was my my water story. So, do you look back yeah, on it now? I spent a lot of time as like a, a good lesson that you had throughout your life, or is it something? I guess so. I think my dad. I think my dad was just checking to see if I was serious about it or not. I, I don't really know why he did that, but he made riding the horses easy for me, but he made a lot of the other stuff not so easy for me. So, you know, he always enjoyed the horses. I mean, that's why we're, I got into him was probably his love first and foremost, but I don't think he, I don't think he wanted it to be too easy. He wanted to make sure that I was, you know, serious about it. I guess I don't really know what it's, his parenting theory was there. <laughs> yeah, that was good stuff. So, I mean, in looking back at those kinds of things in your in your past, and maybe how you know when you were working for other people or working with the Floridas and that kind of thing, and and the lessons that you learned there, what kind of advice do you have for young professionals making their way now who have probably a very different trajectory than you had, um, just because life is so different? Um, what advice do you have for them? to keep in mind as they go along in their, their journey? Well, my best advice is as an employer, I can't stand when I see somebody taking shortcuts, you know, whether it's washing a horse or riding a horse or wanting to get done with work early. I think if you're taking shortcuts, you really need to reevaluate your, your choice of riding horses. This is, you know, it's a full-time gig. You know, when I was working for Dutch and, you know, growing up on Long Island or after high school on Long Island, we, we worked seven days a week 
and we did what it took. Now, every one of my employees, they get a full day off and, you know, it's, it's a lot different now than it was back then. I don't want to sound old, but I mean, it really did, it really did test, test you. And, and, you know, I've always wanted to do this. So I didn't leave myself any options. I had no, I had no, I didn't have rich parents or I didn't have a credit card. I didn't have anything. You know, it was, for me, it was the horses were do or die. And, and I think to me, if you don't have that in your gut, you're going to have a hard time in this sport because nothing comes easy. And still to this day, you know, I still wonder if I can make the fraternity finals. I still wonder if I can make the NRBC finals. I still wonder if I'm doing the right thing on a daily basis. And, and, you know, I just think that, you know, from the outside looking in, we got nice trucks and nice trailers and we got a nice place and we, you know, everything is nice. And, but they don't realize is how hard we had worked for what we got. You know, I just think a lot of the kids, the younger guys see how, how it looks on the outside and they don't really have that intestinal fortitude to, to really do what it takes. And I think, you know, you just have to have that in your gut to, to want to make it and not, you got to act like this is your only option, you know, and not screw it up. You know, when the tough, when times get tough and, you know, you got to stick to it and bear down. Can you tell me something that maybe is unique to your training program or to how you're preparing your horses before you go show? What What do you think is makes makes you different than your peers and stand out in a different way? Oh shoot, I don't even know. I think I don't know what makes me stand out. I know a couple things. I know first of all, at home, I ride five days a week, and I feel like in this day and age with the techniques we have and the horses that we have five days a week, if you can't get it done in five days a week, you need to reevaluate some of the things that you're doing. Cause I don't think, I don't think those horses can take a six day a week or a seven day a week or a twice a day, five day a week program. Those horses, they have to say, stay sound and happy. Mm-hmm. So I just know, I just know every day I, I try to, I try to do right by my horses and uh and I've learned over the years if you really have to be aggressive with one they're probably not going to make it anyway and in the beginning when I first started out I kept those horses and tried to make them work and they never really you know I I snuck a few through there that shouldn't have made it anymore if they're take extra riding or they're super tough they're just going to make you look like a fool at the horse show and that's one thing I've learned over the years so I've sent some decent horses away that I probably, as a young person, I would have kept. But anyway, when I prepare for the horse shows, it's the same thing. It's a five-day-a-week program. At the horse show, I ride them, you know, once a day and then basically warm them up and go show. I don't know that I'm I'm too unique from anybody in that aspect, but I try to get my horses schooled at home and get them ready, and I get them broke, and, and, and you know, I – old as I am I have some of the things pretty set in my head the way they need to feel when I leave home and you know I just I don't know that I'm a whole lot different than anybody else but I, I they just need steady a steady diet of work five days a week and and uh go horse show 
I wish I had some great answer for you there, but uh, I don't. <laughs> I, I think you're probably pretty <laughs> humble and that people in your barn would say say otherwise that you you have some really unique traits. Um, I think it's hard sometimes to recognize those in ourselves, but um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I really appreciated what you said about doing right by the horse. You know, um, the rating for you really is a, a family deal. Um, and, and I wanted to talk to talk to you a little bit about like what that means to you. I know that, you know, we've seen a lot of photos of you and, and Addie at horse shows. And then, you know, Ginger is really successful by her own right. And, you know, what, what does it mean for you to have your whole family involved and there? And, and do you think that that extra like support brings, um, I don't know, just a really positive feeling to your barn? Well, I, I really, you know, I love my family around because it keeps things in perspective for me, first and foremost, you know, we all get caught up in trying to do good and we all try to work hard, but my family, you know, whether I do good, I do bad they're always there for me and they think I'm cool either way so <laughs> for me that really that really means a lot to me to have to keep me grounded and keep my you know it's just a good thing to have your family there for me because I would probably I'd be in, in a state of depression half the time because of it's you know the the winds are so few and far between you know it's just a you know, and I'm lucky. I went a, a, my fair share. I'm not, you know, uh, but I just think that family element between Chris and Nick, uh, Brennan and Addie, I think they keep things pretty grounded. Ginger, no matter what, she's always there for me. She's my biggest fan. Um, so it's always, it's always a good vibe. She tells me to get over it. <laughs> if I get, you know, she, she's, She's funny like that. She's my, she, uh, she's probably my biggest fan, but she'll, when I get upset or whatever, she just looks at me and says, get over it. It's not <laughs> the end of the world. It, it's good to have, gonna, have that uh, around. <laughs> yeah, it is because, you know, I'd be solely and upset. You know, we're also, we're also freaking competitive. You know, it's just hard, you know, when you're not winning all the time to to keep a good attitude and it's what we do it's what we love it's our it's our it's our business you know to do well and when you don't do well it's good to have that that family there that you know keeps things in perspective <clears throat> so so while we're recording this you know we're in we're in this um stoppage of competition and um due to the coronavirus and all that um what are what are you doing to stay mentally sharp and what is, you know, what's the goal for this year? Is is there a a milestone goal? Is there, you know, win the Derby, win the fraternity? It, what what's what's your big picture, I guess, this year? Well, the the big picture for me is when we finally do get the horse shows, just like it is every other year. You go there and try to, to get as much money as you possibly can and as far as staying sharp, you know, I love this this downtime because I get to spend a lot of time on my three-year-olds to spend a lot of time on my derby horses you know we had them ready to go to the cactus classic and that got canceled so my I think my derby horses are right where they need to be uh you know so that's kind of nice but I can just kind of chill them out a little bit and and uh you know I can 
when they give us a green light that we are going to have a horse show. It's not going to take but a couple of weeks to kind of get them where they need to be. So just keep those older horses fit and happy. Uh-huh. And then, you know, for me, I'm really enjoying the, not having anywhere to go so I can put five days a week on my three-year-olds and not be, you know, interrupted by a horse show. So for me, uh, I've kind of really enjoyed, <laughs> you know, this tough time that everybody that we're going through so as far as horse training goes it is going to be really um interesting to see everybody's three-year-olds later this year um like you said with you guys getting to spend so much more time with them and you know not having the travel that interrupts and and the the stop and go as it might be as you're horse showing while you're working with them so um, i think that's kind of exciting and going to be something to look forward to yeah it's going to be fun it's going to be a fun fall fun summer whenever we get back to it yeah but but i I have honestly enjoyed the downtime i bet it's got to be a nice break you guys go hard all year long and it's got to be good to to have that well craig we really appreciate having you on today and um we wish you the best of luck when we finally do get back in the arena (laughs) and um but thank you thanks for having me on Thanks for listening to In Our Tracks, a project from the National Reining Horse Association. For more about reining and NRHA, visit NRHA.com. And be sure to follow us on Facebook at NRHA National Reining Horse Association and on Instagram at NRHA Reining.